Justice Sonia Sotomayor once said, when everyone at school is speaking one language and a lot of your classmates' parents also speak it, and you go home and you see that your community is different, there is a sense of shame attached to that. It really takes growing up to treasure the specialness of being different. I couldn't agree with her more. And I know that my guest on this episode can also relate to being different. Her name is Maribel Lara. You heard me right. You get the two for one deal today. In Spanish, we use the term tocaya for when you have the same name as another person. And let me tell you, she does the name justice. I'm a fan of Maribel's calm wisdom and diplomatic view of the world. Ever heard of Gary V? She works with him as a VP of Special Projects at VaynerMedia in New York City. Talking to Maribel is both refreshing and awakening. We discussed our experiences as Spanish speakers in the U.S. and the criticism that often follows in public, as well as the importance of rising above hate, broadening our view of the world, and living a proud multilingual life. I learned so much from Maribel, and I know you will too. Bienvenidos! Welcome to Diferente! My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming to you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you experiences and lessons in life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life, and it's contagious. Now let's get to it. Hola, Maribel. Welcome to Diferente. Hola. I think this might be the first time ever that two Maribels have been in a podcast at the same time. That is very likely because they don't even meet very many Maribels. And at least in this country, right? I mean, maybe in other countries, there might be other Maribels in the same podcast, but not this one. <laughs> True story. I think we might break the internet. Let's do it. All right, let's get right into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your story? The current chapter of my story is that I'm a VP of Special Projects at VaynerMedia, which is a full-service marketing agency. I work directly for the CEO of the company, Gary Vaynerchuk. And even though I started on the client services side about a year and a half ago, I transitioned to working directly for him and helping him execute projects that are important to him and that tie back to the strategic growth of the agency. I've worked in the marketing field for about eight years. I graduated with an MBA in marketing and management in 2009. And since then have worked either as a freelancer or in the agency world, specifically helping small businesses and now Fortune 100 brands strategize for how they use the digital space, including social and many other things. What's interesting about me is that that's not what I've always done. So I actually have a previous life where I worked in higher education. I have a master's in education, specifically student development. And while I worked at different universities, um, California, here in New York, uh, diversity and inclusion has always been part of the work that I've done. And so it's still very much uh, a passion for me. And there are opportunities for me to infuse that into the work I do here at Vayner's. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. How did you grow up? And did you grow up in a Spanish-speaking household? I grew up in an English and Spanish-speaking household. So both of my parents were South American. My mom came to this country from Peru when she was 12. Um, my dad came here from Chile when he was 19. They met in New York. My mom, having been here since she was 12, 
was very fluent in English, didn't speak English with an accent, um, but spoke both. My dad spoke enough English to get by at work, but was clearly more comfortable in Spanish. I had an older sister who was six years older, who was clearly learning English in school. And so the way that I communicated with her was in English. With mom, I would switch between both. I sort of remember even as a kid knowing that there were certain things that I'd rather communicate in Spanish than in English. And so I would switch between both. With my dad, I always spoke Spanish and not necessarily like I don't remember him making that a mandate. I just remember knowing that it was how he would understand me best. So why wouldn't I use that language to communicate with him? And that's so interesting that you say that because some people, I think, feel like they should not speak Spanish at all, uh, especially given the fact that in schools, a lot of the time they're discouraged from speaking Spanish. Hopefully that was not your experience. And I'm guessing it wasn't, right? No, I mean, I again, I learned both. I spoke both at school. I was probably the best reader in my class. So at, in first grade, I was reading at a third grade level. So it clearly didn't hinder me any. I, I still get frustrated today when people are just like, oh, you speak English so well. And I'm like, what the hell? I was born here. Of course I speak English well. <laughs> I get that all the time, but I wasn't born here. So, <laughs> so I'm not necessarily mad about it, but... You know what? I had a di obviously a different experience because I'm not from here. So I was uh, learning English when I was a little kid. I started in a bilingual school in Mexico City. And we obviously spoke Spanish at home and everywhere else. But in school, we had half the day in Spanish and half the day in English. I think that helped me a lot because if it wasn't for that opportunity to be able to stay in an English mind frame half of the school day, I wouldn't have been able to practice it as much. And that was key for me to be able to be a bilingual individual when we got here to the States. When I was 12 and I had to go into an American middle school, it was a lot easier for me because I already spoke the language. And I think that growing up in a different country, usually it is encouraged to be able to speak more than one language. I don't know if you learned Spanish in school at all, or did you have to learn a foreign language? So I did. I had the choice. So not in grade school. I went to parochial school. So it's grade school, high school for me. Uh, when I went to high school, I had the choice between Spanish and French. I had to pick one or the other. And I was also required to take Latin. Uh, which was the root for both oh, languages. Why? Yeah, I, I, was a, I was a silver medalist in the oh. National Latin exam my sophomore year in high school um, because it's part of, it's a phenomenal foundation for vocabulary. So taking either Latin or Greek is pretty common in a college prep school because it is excellent preparation for the SATs and the basics of understanding any Romance language because so much of it comes from Latin and Greek. That's so interesting. I would have never thought that. It just sounds to me, it would just be like a drag. Really? I have to learn Latin? <laughs> like... <laughs> I mean, the toughest thing about it, right? You were talking about practicing and you can't... Latin isn't really a spoken language anymore. Nobody right. really speaks it. Uh, but it does help you learn any Romance language because once you understand the root of it, it just, you see the connections between both languages. So even though I never took French, I still understand. I can read a fair amount of French because I recognize the roots of the words. Um, so I took Spanish in high school uh, all four years. 
because I wanted to learn it formally. My parents were never educated in their countries of origin. And so while I knew that I spoke Spanish, I wanted to make sure that my Spanish was proper. Like I wanted to make sure that it was grammatically correct so that if I went to another country, my whole dream was like, well, what if I want to be a professional and work in another country? Like I actually need to be able to write and read and speak it more so than just what my parents taught me. And so that's why I did it in high school. And actually I was a Spanish major in college too which people think is an easy, you know, like a lazy thing, but I was, it's not like I was learning grammar. I was studying sp- literature from Latin America yeah. and Spain and having conversations and writing essays about that in that language. So I was a Spanish and Latin American studies major as an undergraduate too. You know, maybe I should have majored in Spanish also because when I said, you know, before we came here, I was 12. So my grammar was kind of stunted, so to speak in Spanish because I didn't keep up with it. I never took a Spanish class ever again. (laughs) So I oftentimes have to look things up to make sure that I'm using the correct word for specific (laughs) things because often my Spanglish, you know, burdens the situation and I end up making up a word. (laughs) I mean, look, eight, eight years of study and having grown up speaking it at home, it's now been almost nine and 10 years since my parents passed away and I don't get to practice it on a daily basis and you get rusty. It doesn't matter how much you've studied it. If you're not actually practicing that language, it's like a muscle you're not using, right? So you can pick it back up when, you know, when I spent, I spent two weeks in Spain last year. And by the second week I was rocking and rolling and people were like, your Spanish is great. And I was like, yeah, but it took a little while to get that muscle memory back. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem speaking it or even writing it. It's just that I don't feel as comfortable sometimes because I think that I lack some of the foundational stuff that I didn't get to go over again and again like other people did. You know, I didn't have to write essays in Spanish when I was here in middle school or high school. So it's just so interesting how that happens in this world. You always think that you're the only one who goes through something, but there's always somebody else <laughs> that can Absolutely. relate. So let's move into something that has been going on lately. Also, it's been going on for a long time, but as of late, it has been more obvious to give people a little bit of context. I'm talking about the fact that lately people have been harassed for speaking Spanish in public. And uh, there was an incident most recently in New York City, a guy mm-hmm. named Aaron Schlossberg. Did I pronounce that correctly? I hope. Yes. Uh, he he went irate because he was in line at a food joint and some of the restaurant's employees were speaking Spanish to customers. And obviously the internet gods have already delivered his karma with, <laughs> with a side of guacamole, totally. But he, you know, he went off and said that he was going to call ICE and that they were probably undocumented and that people shouldn't be speaking Spanish because this is America. So <laughs> have you ever experienced something like this? Oh, absolutely. Like I remember being, I was college, I know for sure. And I was back in the city. I was in the subway station with my dad. So going into the subway station. And so I said something to my dad in Spanish. And there was a woman who yelled at me and said, you're in America, speak English. And I turned to her and said, I can speak to you in English, Spanish or Italian. Which do you prefer? 
ah thing. <laughs> it's just a really ignorant statement. First of all, the assumption that because people are speaking in a language that they don't respect or have the ability to use the language that you would prefer. It's the connotation that you're in America and, and should speak English suggests that there is an official language in this country, which there is not, nor has there ever been. And that's true. There has never been an official language here. And as we know, a lot of this country was Spanish speaking for a long time. Sure, well, let's list them. California, Arizona, Utah, New Mexico, Nevada, like Texas, like most <laughs> so much of this country was originally part of Mexico. And the language spoken there was Spanish. And the treaty that made it part of the United States did not require those people to learn English or speak English in order to be citizens of this country. Just out of curiosity, what did the woman say to you after you said what you told her? She, she walked away in a huff because what do you say? Right. I've always wanted to be able to come back like that in situations where I've been harassed in the past. And I've never been able to do that because I get so upset that I just kind of like freeze. And, you know, I don't I don't know what to sometimes I just I'm shocked. I'm so shocked that I'm like, wait, what? Wait. And then they're gone. <laughs> no, that happens to me, too. I think just like she caught me at a moment that I was prepared to like come back at her. But that doesn't happen all the time. Right. Because you don't you're not anticipating it. You're not prepared for it. You may or may not have your armor up or, you know, you just may not be in the right space to be able to do it. And I'm just glad that you were able to come back with something like that, because I think that not only does it shut her up, but it also kind of puts that in perspective. Like, listen, there's nothing wrong with speaking other languages. And also, can I say that I hate when people refer to Spanish as a foreign language? Because I feel like, <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, just yeah. like you said, it, it wasn't a foreign language before. It's really still not a foreign language. And just because it's a language that you don't speak in this country, it doesn't mean that it's foreign. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but I don't like the term foreign language. I prefer to say another language. No, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I hear you because then like, how are you defining it? Does foreign just mean foreign to you? Meaning like it's not one of the languages you know, but it's not foreign to a lot of people. So I, I get it. I think it's I think it's troublesome, but more so it's unnecessary. Like language is language. Language is how people communicate with each other. And it's hilarious to me because even when you say this is America speak English, well, what version of English? Right. Because English isn't even consistent. Exactly. When I started dating my husband, who is from Kentucky, and I don't have anything against people from Kentucky. I'm just using this as an example because he's from Kentucky. And we had the situation. I had to ask him to repeat himself so many times <laughs> because his he just has a different way of saying things sometimes. Uh, when he gets like really comfortable and when he gets in his zone, he will, there are certain words that he pronounces differently. And so I used to have to be like, wait, what? What did you say? <laughs> and then when I went to, to visit his family for the first time, I had to really focus for the first time to like understand and then start to get in the mode of the way things are said in different regions. To me, that's difficult. Honestly, that that's been a transition for me. Now we don't have that issue because I'm used to it. My ears have gotten accustomed to different sounds and the yeah. different ways that people say the words, but, and I even say it sometimes the way that he says them or the way that other people say them, but 
it, it is something that you have to train yourself for. And so it's so cool that you brought that up because that's something that people don't necessarily talk about, but it's similar to, you know, almost speaking a different language. It totally is. I mean, Spanish as the example, Spanish in Spain is distinct based on what region of Spain you are in. Spanish that's spoken in Spain is so different than the Spanish spoken in Mexico and Peru and Chile. Peru and Chile neighbor each other, and yet there was vocabulary for one country that's different for the other that my parents would have to translate for each other or for each other's families, right? Like I use different vocabulary when I talk to my aunts and uncles on my dad's side versus my aunts and uncles on my mom's side. Yes. And when I went to Colombia for the first time, I learned the hard way. <laughs> that there are certain words that we use loosely in Mexico that are not that do not have the same meaning in Colombia and they're actually rather disturbing. So <laughs> it's it's funny how that happens because you're like, oh we we all speak Spanish. It's, this should be fine. This should be perfectly easy. You know what? There's another thing that I always wonder. I'm always curious to know if there are other people that experience similar things that we would as Spanish speakers. Like for example, do you think that someone who speaks French as their native language would get yelled at the same way in, in the U.S. for speaking French in public? I don't think so. And that's, I think that, I think you, you're hitting the right conversation is the problem is not speak English. The problem is don't speak Spanish. At least that's what it is. And I can't say that unilaterally, but from my perspective, I don't believe that two people speaking French to each other would be shunned the way that We like the examples we've seen about people speaking Spanish to each other, because I think French is put on a pedestal. You know, we tie French to like culture and high arts and, you know, fine dining and beautiful bags and fashion. Right. And, it, you know, it's unfortunate because you can tie Spanish to those things as well. But there's baggage there. It is not just about wanting people to speak English. It is baggage about around what it means if two people are specifically speaking Spanish. Did we just hit on colonialism again? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, but that that's sort of how I feel sometimes because I think that it is obvious that if people are speaking other languages outside of Spanish, they don't tend to get shunned as we would. I think Italian, for example, it sounds so beautiful and it's so sexy. I love it. Yeah, I, wanna, I want to be fluent in Italian, but I don't think that someone speaking Italian in, in public would get yelled at. Like if, if a waiter comes up to you in an Italian restaurant and they explain to you the menu in Italian, everyone's like, oh, yeah, this is fantastic. But how many times do you go to a Mexican restaurant and they, they explain to you the menu or the dishes in Spanish? Right. Look, anyway, I don't think we're the only ones in that boat either. I think that, you know, the Arabic speaking community is in the same situation right now, right? There are so, there are so many prejudices that can go along with people hearing two folks speaking Arabic. And that's unfortunate. You would hope that lack of understanding takes people to the space of wanting to understand. But our default is fear. And then you have situations like we've seen happening. So I feel bad for those people because as a person who loves to travel, I'm just like, if that makes you uncomfortable, then you really shouldn't travel any other place in the world. One of my best ex travel experiences was when I first went to Japan. 
it's the most foreign I have ever felt, right? It was not only a, a language that I didn't speak, but it's a completely different alphabet. So I have where I can decipher certain romance languages. And so, like I said, I could get by in countries that are French speaking, Spanish speaking, Italian speaking, whatever it may be. I can even get by somewhat in Germany because some things make sense, right? And we have some German words in English. Japanese is completely foreign. The alphabet is completely foreign. But it was one of my best travel experiences because you're like, getting uncomfortable and you're really exposing yourself to a new culture, which is a learning experience. So, you know, I wish that that is the thing that we could get across to people is like, Hey, you don't have to fear this thing. Be curious about it, like expand your experience and expand your mind because we will all be better for it. Also, I think that you hit on a good point. People can't handle feeling uncomfortable, but the truth is Uncomfortable can make you a better person. It can teach you things about yourself. It's okay to be a little bit uncomfortable because that means you're outside of, hello, your comfort zone. Like and that you're growing. You are, if you never feel uncomfortable, then you are never growing, developing, advancing as a human being. And your life is pathetic. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? Like if all you do are the things that make you comfortable because they're familiar, then like, That's a really sad existence. Life is really long. Why wouldn't you want to experience new things, to learn new things, to change the way that you do it? Like, keep it interesting. Right. And that's a first world problem. I got to say it. And you know it. Feeling uncomfortable is like the number one, probably most feared <laughs> thing in the US yeah. or in maybe in most, you know, quote, first world uh, countries. It's like everything we do in our lives is so that we don't make ourselves uncomfortable. The products that we buy are created so that we are not uncomfortable. Our phones, we can watch TV, send emails, communicate with our friends and FaceTime people all in one device. I would tweak that a little. Like, I don't think that that is the default. I don't think that that's specific to like certain countries. I don't think that it's specific to certain classes. I think all of the resources that you listed certainly make it easier to be comfortable and to not have to adapt. But those same tools give us access to so much more than we've ever had access to, right? The true, fact that on true. your phone, you could learn a language, like you don't have to buy a program like Rosetta Stone to be able to learn another language. Like you can do it for free using YouTube. There's so much more access to information. So I see both sides of it. I see those tools as enabling people to to basically live in a bubble and and not have to step outside of that but those same tools can be used for great things you're right you got me there but then <laughs> how do you bridge the gap you know i think little by little it's not everyone is going to go like try bungee jumping i won't do that my nerves can't take it right my husband is the person that i leave those things to but like That's his territory, you know, however, when it comes to trying foods from different cultures or like visiting different places, I have a different perspective. That's how I like to challenge myself. So it's find the areas where you are willing to challenge yourself and get uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be across the board. You just described everything that was in my head when I came up with this show, just so you know. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so get get out, get out of my head. Stop saying my deep, dark thoughts. 
But no, that totally correlates with the whole conversation about speaking another language and being uncomfortable when you hear somebody else speaking in a language that you cannot understand. It's that level of comfort that I think we need to kind of be okay with surpassing. It's okay to not always understand everything and it's okay to not know everything. And language is one of those things. I mean, you were talking about visiting other countries and experiencing that in Japan. We live next door to a foreign country. It's called Miami. I don't know if you've heard of it, but seriously, we were very close to Miami. And the number one complaint that I always hear people tell me about the metro area of Miami is that people don't speak English. They sure don't. I was in Miami in October. And while some people may complain about it, it is one of the things that I love about Miami because you go to Miami and you feel like you're in another country. I, I agree. Think it's fantastic. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I always tell people when they come to me with that complaint. I'm always like, you know, I feel I find that interesting that people get really angry and worked up about that because I don't get what the big deal is. If you don't like it, just don't go. But I will tell you this, Miami people won't miss you and you'll be missing <laughs> out on all the amazing culture and food and experiences that are awaiting for you in Miami. And then the other thing is that you don't even need a passport to experience this. And it's like being immersed almost in another country. If I could have a rational conversation with a person who feels like this should be an English only country, where do you draw the line? Right? So if this should be an English only country, what are we going to do about changing all the names of locations, streets, cities in the state of California? Ah, that's right? a good point. Like, are, are we going to change all of that? Because that's Spanish. So if we're English only, are, are we going to go that extreme? What, what are you, are you talking about? Mean? San Diego, it means uh, whale's vagina, right? <laughs> Isn't that what it means? <laughs> I thought it was just the name of the saint. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not familiar with your version of it. <laughs> oh, it's an Anchorman uh, reference? <laughs> oh, got it. Sorry. I'm, I'm clearly like delayed in the last time that I saw Anchorman. <laughs> Did I just totally weird you out? You're like, what the hell? Like, what are you talking about? Now I'm going to have to go back and watch it. My husband's totally going to laugh at me when he hears this episode. Just Google San Diego <laughs> Anchorman. And yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you for, see, I'm uncomfortable, but I've now learned something and I'll now know the reference. So let's talk about our name because that's this is like the number one thing about having a, I'm going to say it, foreign sounding <laughs> name. For non-Spanish speakers, it seems to be impossible sometimes to pronounce our name the way that it's supposed to be pronounced in our language. So I have a just a curious question for you. Do you introduce yourself to strangers as Maribel or as Maribel? So the honest answer is it depends. And the, here's the background behind it. So at home, I was never called by my full name. So at home, I was always called Mari. That was the name that my parents called me. That's like that's what everybody in my family calls me. Nobody uses my full name. So it really wasn't until I went to school that I started like hearing my name in full. And everybody said Maribel and nobody ever told me that I should correct them. Because even when my mom said my name, like what I can remember about going to doctor's appointments, like she never corrected anybody when they call me Maribel. And I had asked my mom this question when she was still alive. And my mom swears that she actually got my name and my sister's name. So my sister is Catherine with a C, not a K. And it's not Caterina, it's Catherine. 
a very like anglicized name. And my mom says that she got both of our names from an English name of books that she got from the hospital. So she had never met anybody with either of our names. Like that's how she picked them. Cause you have to remember my mom had been here since she was 12. So my mom never made me feel like my name was just Maribel. It, it, so I grew up believing that if you said my name in Spanish, it was pronounced Maribel. But if you pronounced it in English, it was Maribel and that neither was correct or incorrect. Oh, that's such a politically correct way of looking at it. <laughs> right. But like, that's how I grew up. And so I have had friends who have like reprimanded me for not always introducing myself as Maribel. But I'm just like, dude, I just want people to like get my name right, <laughs> you know, like and yeah. remember it. And if English is the best way for them to do it, because you know what? I would rather have somebody say Maribel than butcher my name in Spanish. Yeah, see, I like it when people try because I've always been called Maribel since, you know, forever. But that's not actually my legal name, just so you know. Okay. I have two names that make Maribel. It's Maria Isabel. So, ah. yeah, but most people don't know that. I just gave all my secrets away. <laughs> <laughs> You're <Shit>. not real. <laughs> <laughs> but I have always been known as Maribel. My parents have called me that. Everyone around me has called me that. And then when we came to the States, people couldn't pronounce Maribel. So I don't think I ever got the chance to say my name was Maribel. I think the teacher just was like, this is Maribel. And so everybody knew me as Maribel. And then that was it for the rest of my time here in high school. And then I went to college and I was Maribel. And then at the end of college, I had like this weird awakening of culture. And I was like, no, I'm Maribel, damn it. And that's what you're going to call me. And everybody was like, what the hell? When did your name change? (laughs) (laughs) I'm interrupting this awesome episode to ask you a favor. Will you take a few seconds to leave a review? Tell me what other topics you would like to hear on the show. It takes less than 30 seconds to write a review and you can help change lives. Okay, I mean, that might be an exaggeration, but that's the kind of impact that Diferente is all about. A brighter outlook, a different perspective. All of this can be life transforming. Switching it up a little bit. In relation to the name, I want to talk about how people pronounce words in Spanish. Sometimes I've noticed that people think it's snobby to pronounce things the way they're supposed to be pronounced. Like if I say chipotle instead Mm -hmm. of, how do people say it? Chipotle. (laughs) Yes. If I say chipotle, sometimes people look at me like, why do you have to say it like that? Do you? (laughs) No, I'm serious. Do you usually pronounce Spanish words correctly like they're supposed to be? Or do you feel like you have to throw in the accent so people will understand you or not feel threatened? I think it depends. You know, again, I think I code switch and I don't do it intentionally. I think my brain is just wired to like read a situation, determine how I'm going to do it. But like there are, I think there are certain words and it's hard for me to think of like, you know, if I go to a Mexican restaurant, I'm going to order in Spanish, you know, especially if the server is, is Latino of some kind, like I'm going to order in Spanish because I know that I can Whereas I'm not going to do that at a Chipotle as the example, but um, I do the same thing in other languages too, right? I don't go, I order a croissant. I don't order a croissant. Ah, see if I could pronounce croissant, (laughs) I would do it too. So like if I can pronounce, it actually gets me in trouble sometimes. My husband and I went, have gone to Montreal and I'll pronounce certain words properly. Like, you know, I'll order a croissant, un croissant. 
s'il vous plaît. And mind you, I didn't take French, so forgive me for those those who do speak it. But I make an effort to say the words that I can say, and then it gets me in trouble because then they try to talk to me in French, and I'm like, I didn't understand any of that. <laughs> right. That happened to me in Italy because my husband and I were just in Italy, and I practiced a lot of Italian before going there. I was like adamant, like I wanted to be able to learn and I wanted to be able to communicate. And so I was able to do that in a very basic way, you know, just like the main words. So I would ask people a question going into a store and they would respond to me in Italian and I'd be like, wait. <laughs> I think of it as an olive branch, right? So it can be interpreted as snobby, but for those of you listening who interpreted as snobby, give people the benefit of the doubt. For me, it's often an olive branch. We go to Italy, speak the little Italian that I can, knowing that it's not perfect because to me, it is showing the people there that I am interested in their culture, that I, you know, like I'm here to learn about it. I'm here to expose myself to it. And I'm, I'm going to try to meet you as close to halfway as possible. It's frustrating to me when people don't try especially when you're traveling, you're going to another country, like you should try to not to sound cliche, but do as the Romans do. And I think that that's a, the respectful thing to do. But also going back to the pronouncing things correctly, you should try to pronounce things correctly. What's wrong with that? I mean, right. there are some things that you might not know how to pronounce, but when you learn it and when you know the true pronunciation of something, there's nothing snobby about it. And you're just learning and celebrating another culture. I hate it. And I wrote about this a while ago. I'll, I'll share this in the website at some point. But I, I wrote about how I hate it when people call guacamole guac. Because they're like, I went down this rabbit hole of like cultural appropriation and all these things. For me, it's like, really, you're taking away all the Mexican from guacamole. All of it. by calling it guac. Because to me, it's like, that's the essence of it. When you call it guac, you just completely changed it. And to me, that's a little bit disrespectful and it's a little bit sad because it goes back into the whole, oh, we're cool with Mexican people or, you know, Latinx people as long as it's all about their food and their music. But we're not cool with the whole immigration thing. I think it's lazy, but language has a tendency to do that. That's what slang is, right? It's, it's finding these short, choppy ways. So we try to make language as efficient as possible. And so in some situations, I agree with you. In some situations, it may be a case of trying to anglicize it or like remove the foreignness of it. There goes that word again. But I think I'm going to give people the benefit of the doubt and say that in some situations, it's just we try to speed language up. And so we try to cut everything, right? We have acronyms. You're right. It's not necessarily disrespectful. You know, I'm not saying that everybody who, who says guag is trying to be disrespectful, but it's just there's a certain attachment to to words and to culture that I have. And I think that, well, when it co just comes down to it, you're just way nicer than I am and you explain it so much better. <laughs> you're just more politically correct. I think that's what determined this episode. I have gone through my phases where like things make me angry and where I am in my life right now is that I'm going to be able to engage people in conversation that may actually like move dialogue forward if I try to meet them where they are. And that means that I have to start from a place of assuming that their intent is not a bad one. 
right? So like, I just find that that helps me have more meaningful conversations. So like, I always go into conversations from that perspective, be like, Hey, like, I don't think you meant anything by this at all. However, when you said this, it made me feel this way, or like it brought up this stuff for me. Let's talk about that. People are going to be much more open to like meeting you and engaging in that conversation. If that's the place you start from versus like, bro, what the F? Yeah. Well, I'm going to need you to do a webinar on that so that we can all... Because we are all in dire need of some of that. It's, like, it's hard. It's, it's exhausting, right? It really, really, really is exhausting. But you have to like make a conscious effort to not let it get the best of you. And to only tackle it when you're like emotionally, spiritually prepared to do it. You don't have to fight all of the battles. That's true. Do you think it would be better if we all spoke the same language? It'd be boring. And you know what? You could start fresh and say, like, we're all going to start speaking English to the earlier point that we were making. It'll change, right? It, it'll change from location to location because on the West Coast, we'll need more words to describe like that culture and that vibe that is always sunny and always warmer versus on the East Coast in the Northeast where it gets frigid, we're going to need language that better describes that experience. So it's always going to adapt. You can make every freaking effort to like get everybody to speak the same thing. They'll change it in different ways. Yeah, I have three questions that we need to tackle. Number one, why is it important to be able to speak more than one language? And don't give me the whole because you're more marketable answer. (laughs) Let's try and dig a little deeper. Because we live in societies that are made up of different people. And that's what life is. Life is a series of connections with people. And language is the way that we best do that. And if you only limit yourself to one language, then you're limiting your ability to connect with more people. And I would agree with that because I feel like for me, experiences are everything. So in order to have different experiences and in order to be able to connect with people and learn their stories, I need to be able to speak their language. No pun intended. I think for me, it's about culture. It's about bridging the gap and understanding other people's perspectives. Things get lost in translation. It's always stuck with me. I remember meeting a woman when I was younger who said to me like, oh, there are certain phrases in Spanish that are so beautiful. She wasn't a native Spanish speaker. And she was like, take the phrase to give birth. In English, it's to give birth. In Spanish, it's dar a luz, right? To bring into the light. The imagery that comes along with that, right? To bring a life into the light, like into our universe. The English phrase, there's nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't evoke that same kind of emotion. And that has always stuck with me in terms of the feeling of like, you lose things in translation. And so if you learn another language, you might learn, there's a richness that comes with that. There's, to your point, a story that can come with that, that you would not get by solely understanding the translation. That's beautiful. Again, another another great quote by Maribel Lara. (laughs) So... All right. Number two, what are the most effective ways of learning another language? Immersion. To me, there's Ah. not like practice. You have to, you have to practice that thing 
I mentioned earlier that I felt like I was getting rusty with my Spanish and this trip to Spain was a really phenomenal way to reconnect with it. But I was like, how did I keep that going? So one of the things that I did was I knew that here we have about 500 people um, across our New York offices. And I knew that there were other Spanish speakers who also wanted the opportunity to practice. So we actually started a Spanish book club. We pick a book for like a month or two months. It's a Spanish language book. And we try to keep it short because we're trying to be realistic. And the discussion is all in Spanish. And we ask each other, like, how do I say this thing? So it's open to a variety of different levels. But like, we recognize that practice was so important for us to have. Like you, if you don't use it, you lose it. So finally, if it's not actually going to, like if you have the opportunity to go up to a place for an extended period of time and live that and be immersed in that culture and that language, I think that is the ideal. Uh, but if you can't do that, because we don't all have the means to do that, then finding other ways to practice. And the internet makes that so easy, right? You can go on Meetup and find a, language meetup group for almost any language. Or you could just move to Miami, right? That's true. <laughs> if Spanish is the language that you want to learn, then yes, and then Miami is a wonderful location within the United States. And I want to tell you what my dad used to do when we first moved here. He already knew English, but I wouldn't say that he was fluent. So to practice, he would watch TV with the subtitles, um, the closed caption. So, in, you know, you watch TV in English and then there's the closed caption that tells you everything that's going on. Yeah. That's what he would do. And he would tell me that he'd be like, hey, you need to watch TV with the closed caption. So <laughs> you can practice. I'm like, dad, OK, whatever. It gets in the way of the picture. I don't like it. But he, he was right. He was really onto something. And now I tell my husband to do the same thing, but in Spanish. I'll catch him sometimes uh, flipping through <laughs> and he'll end up in a telenovela. Yeah. And, and he'll be like, oh, house, mother, uh, <laughs> song. I know what he's saying. <laughs> my husband says the same thing because my husband is not Latino either. My husband is Jewish, born and raised in New York City and took Spanish in high school and college and worked in the service industry for a long time and had colleagues who spoke Spanish. But he gets rusty and he also gets you know nervous about practicing. So we do the we do the subtitles too. And he does subtitles on like movies that are in English that he's seen before. So like he understands so that he can read along in Spanish to try to do it that way too. Yeah, I wish I could get Doug and my husband to do that. When we watch a movie like in English to be able to put in the subtitles in Spanish. But he, same thing. He's like, oh, it bothers me. It distracts me. <laughs> he, he's like very resistant Come towards on, that. Come on, Doug. I know. I'm trying to get him to really be able to do that a lot more so that he can truly become fluent or at least close to it. Because I think that it would be very important once we have kids to be able to have two parents who can understand the language. And then, then we can have actual conversations as a family. One more question. How would you say someone should respond to an angry or paranoid individual if they confront you about speaking Spanish in public or any other language they can't understand? So I think first and foremost, it's making sure that you're safe in that situation. I, would, I wouldn't recommend confronting someone if you think that there is the risk of like harm coming to you. So first and foremost, like guard yourself. Confronting somebody about a topic, even if you're super passionate about it, I don't think is worth it if 
you're at risk, right, of being in danger. I think if you feel like the environment is safe enough for you to confront it, do so. I think if you can keep your calm, right? Like, so if you, if you have that quick comeback, that'll make that person think that's the way to do it. I think getting into an argument with someone isn't going to go anywhere. That's one where I think like responding to the same degree is futile. And that's why, like I said before, a lot of the time I just kind of freeze because yeah. <laughs> the only words that come out of my mouth in that moment are expletives. Yeah. And, and I know that that's just going to escalate the situation. So I, it's hard. I think for me, because I have experienced some degree of bullying, I guess, and, and I've experienced the racism and the things that come with being an immigrant, unfortunately, I feel a little bit too attached to that. So sometimes I take it a little too personal and it's hard for me, which not to say that you shouldn't take it personal. I mean, that's normal. How could you not? Absolutely. It is personal when somebody attacks you. But for me, it's hard to detach in the moment and actually think rationally because I'm stuck in that emotional side of the brain where I'm like, I can't believe you. How dare you, you jerk. And, and I just can't articulate, especially because I'm speaking in another language. <laughs> Look, I think that's the beauty of your podcast. It's the beauty of like the ability to create content these days, right? Like you may not be able to come up with the witty thing to say in that moment, but even if that moment passes and you weren't able to like use it, you can use that experience to educate a much broader or audience than that one person that said that ignorant thing. So the ability to like use your voice and use these channels that we have free access to, to make that a learning opportunity for other people is tremendous. And I think that's more valuable than coming up with the comeback in the moment. And that has a more lasting effect, Absolutely. like you said. Yeah, so it, it's a very good point. And thank you. Now I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I will practice my wit, though. I, I'm not going to lie. I have been thinking about that. Like, what is going to happen if I ever get confronted? What am I going to say? Like, I've been thinking about it. <laughs> like, I need to be ready. <laughs> well, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for making time for this. But before we end, I need to know two things that I have been asking other people as well. Tell us what is your passion and how do you define success? The thing that I am most passionate about right now is mentorship. And what that stems back from is I'm at a point in my career where I feel I am where I am supposed to be and where I've always wanted to be. And that's caused me to do a lot of reflection and to recall that at the early stages of my career, whether it was in education or in marketing, I lacked mentors who I felt understood me holistically, who had experiences that were similar to mine. And so I am at a stage right now where like, I want to be that for other people. And so that means telling my stories and sharing my experience. And so to me, what success looks like is people reflecting back to me that it has made a difference for them. And what is your definition of success? My definition of success is that I live a happy life and that I am having a positive impact on other people's lives. Oh, I love it. That's so you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's wonderful. 
Well, thank you again for being with us and for teaching us new things, because there's always something we can learn about people and there's always something we can learn from other people. And you're proof of that for sure. Not only do you have an amazing name, you are an amazing person. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me on, for listening to my perspective and for doing what you're doing and telling different stories. Can you tell us how people can find you online? Sure. I am Latina underscore sweetie on Twitter and Instagram. Those are the two where I am most active. Um, I have started to write again. And so you can also find me on Medium under my name and probably Latina Sweetie as well. But if you follow me on social, you can find some of my latest articles. And I'll definitely list some of those articles and your handles on the show notes. So we'll make sure that everybody gets that. Thank you. I love what Maribel said regarding travel and making an effort to communicate in the local language as extending an olive branch. I encourage you to learn, even if just the basic words, to say hello, please, thank you, and goodbye in the primary language of the places you travel to. This little bit of effort goes a long way. Another great lesson today is that engaging people in conversation by meeting them where they are is the best way to move the dialogue forward. Try to start from a place of assuming that people have good intentions. I realize sometimes this is very hard, especially when someone's words evoke feelings of anger, but just give it a try. I think all of this helps us engage in more positive conversations that make us grow. And isn't that the ultimate goal? Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you like this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at Adiferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto.